0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to miss Bob. It's my privilege to serve as the Connections Pastor here at Grace Point. And I haven't always been a pastor. I'm in a second career. I've been in full-time pastoral ministry for 21 years now. Before that... Uh, My career was in law enforcement. I served 25 years on the highway patrol. I was blessed and fortunate enough to make rank, and I retired at the rank of major. During that period of time, I was with my family at a baseball tournament that one of our sons was playing in down in Emporia And if you've been to baseball and softball tournaments, you know they rarely run on time. Talking to the choir here, aren't I? So it was a late Saturday night. We're coming home from Emporia. It was about one o'clock in the morning and approaching the I-470 overpass. You know where I'm talking about connects I-70 with 470 going south and you get past Watermaker and that kind of stuff. I'm approaching the overpass there and I'm going north and on my lane spilled all over the road is glass and tires And what looked like it was at one time a really nice Camaro, it was beat to smithereens. I don't know what smithereens is, but it was crunched. I think that that driver had hit every part of the sidewalls on that overpass, like a ping pong ball. So I told my family, I said, guys, stay here. I I need to go up here and I don't know what I'm going to see, but stay here. I'll, I'll be back in a little bit. Get out of my, my car. I'm off duty, okay? Get out of my, my, my car. Well, a van. We always had a van. We had five kids, you know? So I walk up there, and the driver's still in the car. And I tapped him on the shoulder, and before he turned to speak to me, I could smell the alcohol from inside. And young fella, I said, sir. Sir, are are you okay? He said, yeah, I got to get out of this car. He exits the car and he's pretty unsteady, as you could imagine. He was inebriated. And I said, you stay right here. Stay right here. I'm going to call for some help. And he said, hey, before you go do that, Can you do me a favor? I said, I don't know. What do you need? He says, well, I got some open beer bottles in my car. Can you take them for me? I said, sure. So in a short amount of time, up drives the trooper that's coming to respond to this scene. And he says to me, he says, Good evening, Major. And that guy goes, You a cop? (laughs) I said, yes, sir, it's not your day. (laughs) Here's Here's these open containers. Oh, but it's your day. It's your day. And I'm glad you're here. We're opening up this morning the forgiveness app. You know, we have these modern cell phones. I have upgraded from a 4S to a 7. Yeah, I'm I'm stepping out. (laughs) And they have all these apps on them, don't they? With gigabytes, millions and millions and bits and pieces of information that's right there at our disposal for a multitude of purposes for 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 health for internet, for email, for text messaging, for checking Cardinals baseball scores. Oh man, there's apps there for everything. I can check in on my savings account, I can check in on the Church Center app, which by the way, you should have. You can download that, free download. We've got all these apps to resource us and to help us out, but here's the deal. If you don't use this information, it's pretty much worthless. It's there for us to use. Application makes all the difference. So Pastor Tim opened up for us last week this first message in the Life App Series, and He dived into this passage from James. James chapter one, verses 22 and 25, I'm taking an excerpt from it, but here it is. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are just fooling yourselves. And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard then, God will bless you for doing it. The Bible has hundreds of apps, hundreds of life apps for healthier marriages, for healthier relationships, for healthier bodies, for healthier uh, getting along in the workplace, all at our fingertips. But if you don't put it to use, It's not very helpful. Application is everything. James says, if you don't do what it says, you're a fool. I didn't say that. James did. You'll be blessed if you do it. you're a fool if you don't. So we're opening up the forgiveness app and that word forgiveness translated from the Greek means let it go, Elsa. (laughs) Let it go. And don't we wish it was just that easy when it comes to forgiveness? A report that was published in the Journal of Psychology and Theology on the topic of forgiveness said this, Numerous studies link forgiveness to lower levels of depression, anxiety, and hostility and may explain why forgiving individuals are at lower risk of developing cardiovascular problems and are exhibiting stronger immune systems. So not only is God telling us that we'll be blessed when we forgive but now medical science is finding that we're better for it we're healthier for it we're emotionally and spiritually and emotionally better for it it's it's the booster the forgiveness booster is is God approved, doctor recommended and it's ready for us to use right now. So why aren't we using it? Why aren't more Christians putting into practice forgiveness? I I think it's because it's Really, really, really hard. If it was easy, anyone could do it. It takes courage, it takes resolve, it takes intentionality, it takes commitment, it takes strength and resolve. It takes willpower to forgive that dirty, rotten scoundrel who's hurt you. God, however, wants us to cooperate with him in this. He says he'll bless us if we do, and we're fools if we don't. Jim Elliott Elliot loved God and loved people. He was a missionary at heart, and in answering his call to full-time missionary work, he found himself in the South American country of Ecuador. There had been missionaries prior to him that had went there and had found some success in, in, in uh, evangelizing the natives In that country, but there was still much work to be done. One native group in particular in Ecuador, the Waodani tribe, had killed every outsider that came into their midst. After years of preparation, Jim Elliott, along with four other missionaries and their families, began to minister to the Wa'odani in their little yellow Piper Cub, two-seater, single-engine airplane. They would fly over where the Wa'odani lived, and they'd drop out small packages of food and small gifts in an effort to try and, and, and connect with them. In some way. And then the moment of truth came. On a, on a long river bed, a bar, a sandbar in the midst of the river, they were able to land their plane and meet the Wa'odani in person. This relationship began to foster. And over the next few weeks they began to develop a relationship with one another. Even though language was a barrier, they felt like they were making a breakthrough. In one particular visit, the Wa'odani left to go get other tribe members to meet them. Jim thought it would be a short wait, and it was two days later before the Donnie showed up, but they did show up with a whole clan of other tribesmen. Things seemed to be going so well for them. And late in the afternoon of Sunday, January the 8th, 1956, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, sat by the radio in her little hut, cabin, Jim was always reliable to call in. He checked in with her. He maintained good communications with her and kept her up to date on how the visits were going. The afternoon turned into evening and evening turned into late night and Jim, who's so faithful to radio in and call in, had not done so. Elizabeth knew that no news was not Good news. The next morning, another missionary team in their airplane went to where they thought their last location was. There' had been an ambush. Jim and his four other missionary friends had been speared and bludgeoned with machetes. A few days later, a United States res- uh, rescue team went in and landed and buried their bodies where they lay. Jim left behind his wife and six year old son. And Elizabeth said, This is not over. A mad and vengeful woman is a force to be reckoned with. Quoting the English poet William Congreve, Heaven has no rage like love turned to hatred, Nor hell no fury like a woman scorned. Elizabeth pledged this was not over yet. Who would have blamed her if she had had brought machine guns into the Wa'odani tribe and just served justice? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, our core passage for this morning. He writes this. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions. But show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all. Live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil. With good. The word of the Lord. Hey, evil hurts. Evil's real. And evil lingers. And sometimes it lingers for a lot of years, maybe a lifetime. Paul's not diminishing that. God doesn't diminish that. God hates evil, and we hate evil, and we hate evil when it happens to us, many of us will experience getting speared by lies, stabbed by the blade of deceit, and macheted by betrayal, wounded, wounded, by someone we trusted wounded by someone that we thought we knew well maybe a family member maybe a, a coworker maybe a friend that we've known for a long long time or maybe it's by someone that we don't even know like a drunk driver In one of my highway patrol experiences, I worked a five-fatality accident where a grandmother, a daughter, a granddaughter, and a great-granddaughter were all killed by a drunk driver. Who didn't make it either? Evil is real. And evil hurts. And evil lingers. Revenge, Paul says, is not something we're to take upon ourselves. But we do, don't we? I mean, what does, what does society say we should do? Get even? You mess with me? I'm going to mess with you. That's... That, It's the way that we do it, society says, and not so, says Jesus. You know that you have been taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to try, to not try to get even with the person who has done something wrong with you. Society says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And the Bible says this and Jesus says, but I say. Don't go down that path. Revenge belongs to God. Paul tells us in his Romans passage, revenge belongs to God and God alone. In his timing, he will call evil to account. God will deal with this. We have neither the right nor the authority to take it upon ourselves When we do, evil's defeating us. Instead, we're to defeat evil with good. We extend the right hand of peace because you know when you're shaking a hand, it's hard to hit them. So we extend the right hand of peace. In verse 20 of our Romans passage, Paul quotes Proverbs 21. Correction, Proverbs 25, he says, here's how you put peace into practice. Be kind to everyone. Kindness is one of those fruits of the Holy Spirit. Kind people give hungry people something to eat. Kind people give thirsty people something to drink. Kind people do kind things because kindness is good and it glorifies God peace manifesting itself in kindness could result in the enemy the one who's wounded and hurts you feeling a sense of shame and maybe even remorse that's what's meant by keeping burning coals on them they're expecting payback and when they get grace it throws them for a loop we're to defeat evil with good and forgive the offender Jesus said and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them So that your heavenly Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Right about now, you might, some of you this morning, you might be thinking something like this. Pastor, you don't know my story. You don't know how deeply I've been hurt. You don't know how much I've suffered. You don't know what I've had to contend with. I don't even know where to start. True. True. Bless your heart, I don't know your story. But I can give you a place to start this morning. Let's use an acronym called REACH. R-E-A-C-H. Psychologist Dr. Everett Worthington has spent his entire professional career studying the single topic of forgiveness. I asked our own Becca Goodwin, a licensed clinical psychologist, counselor who has her own practice and she's a faithful attender and member of Grace Point. I called her and I said, Becca, hey, I'm preaching coming up and in my 20 years of experience, I've had a lot of experience, but you know what? I want to know more, so what read, what resource, uh, what thoughts might you have, what might you recommend that would be helpful for us this morning? She said, Bob, hands down, the best book I've ever read on forgiveness is by Dr. Worthington called The Five Steps to Forgiveness. Now, that's a resounding endorsement from someone that I respect immensely. In his book, Dr. Worthington uses the REACH acronym to help us start to navigate this hard process of forgiveness. And it is a process. Make no mistake. The cliche forgive and forget is only half good advice. We can forgive, but it's hard to forget. God has given us memories, and those wounds and those hurts can linger. So it's not a matter of forgive and forget; it's a matter of forgive and work through this process, and maybe doing it many, many times. Let's tackle the R: recall the hurt. We need to, we need to confront. The reality that we've been wounded. We need to confront the hurt and call it what it is. We need to face it. Becca, Becca said that we best do this if we do it with someone who's emotionally stable, who's empathetic, and who's not involved, that we do that with a third party as we confront this hurt. As we recall it. And in that, we then make the choice, having recalled the hurt, we make the hard choice, the hard decision to forgive. And the next step is empathize. And if making the choice wasn't hard, it gets a little harder. To empathize means to put your play, yourself in the other person's place. Somehow seek to sit in the other person's chair and to view what has happened through their eyes. And if you can possibly muster up some empathy in doing so, you might get a glimpse of understanding what they're going through and what gave rise to this wound in their conduct. And if you can't empathize, and sometimes that's really hard to do, if you can't empathize, then, then perhaps you'll at least get a smidgen of sympathy for them. Perhaps you'll develop a smidgen of love for them in Christ Jesus. Perhaps you'll develop a smidgen of forgiveness for them, compassion for them. And when you do that, when you begin to experience that in your own heart, Healing is on the way. Next, we give something to them. We give an altruistic gift. Altruistic means unselfish. Now, if I was a betting man and I'm not, and if I had a farm and I don't, I'd bet the farm, you've hurt somebody. Maybe not intentionally, maybe very much unintentionally maybe it was a parent maybe it was a sibling maybe it was a co-worker or a friend and you have this burden that you're carrying around because you know you've done some damage and they forgive you and it's like the burden's been lifted it is a really good feeling to be forgiven. You give that gift and perhaps, perhaps they will experience a measure of the gift of forgiveness that you're giving them. Not because they deserve it. That's not the issue here. It's obedience to God, because God says He'll bless us if we do, and we're fools if we don't. And once we've given that gift of forgiveness, then we we tackle the C part, commit, we take their name and we write it down. It can be something as simple as this: today. On this May 1st, today, 2022, I forgave, Johnny. I forgave Janet. As simple as that. You put that puppy on a Post-it note. You put it on a piece of paper. And you put it different places that you're going to run into it. Maybe on your rearview mirror. Maybe on your refrigerator. Maybe, maybe inside the refrigerator. Maybe down in your cabinet if you're looking for ding-dongs like I do. (laughs) Where you're going to run into it and be reminded that you made a conscientious, heartfelt choice to forgive. You committed. And you did it. And that brings us to H. Hold on to forgiveness. You may have to remind yourself many times that you did this. You may have to go back to that note many times to remind yourself that you did this because you know what? There's the, there's the, there's the forget part. We don't forget, do we? And every time we think about this and every time it rears its ugly head, it stirs up these emotions. And we go back. And we hold on to the fact that, yes, Lord, I did forgive Johnny or Janet. And when you do that, you're putting putting Proverbs 4.23 into action, which says, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. As you in your heart through Jesus Christ extend the gift of forgiveness, you're guarding your heart. Elizabeth pledged, this is not over. It took her two years to act on her pledge. Elizabeth Elliot and members of the other, of the families of the other four men that were murdered by the Wadani tribe went to the Wadanis and lived among them. She went with a heart and an attitude of forgiveness instead of one of revenge. They were peacemakers And they taught the Wa'odani the love of God through all the language and cultural barriers. They were able to have a breakthrough. And the result was essentially a revival, an evangelistic awakening as many of the Wa'odani tribe gave their life to Jesus Christ. One of those people was Jim Elliott's murderer who came to Christ through a loving act of forgiveness, evil, defeated with good. You can find more out about this true, amazing story of forgiveness by finding the book, The End of the Spear, or watching the movie by the same title. It will capture you. Forgiveness is not only possible. Forgiveness is God's core mark for the Christian. No, it won't be easy. And and you know what? Maybe your story won't turn out like Elizabeth Elliot's. Maybe you go and you extend forgiveness and it's met with cynicism or ridicule or in any way that you had hoped it wouldn't be. You can't control that. And maybe you don't get an apology. You may never get an apology and you can't control that. But, Christian, what you can control is the decision you make to forgive. You control that. To love God is to obey God. 1 John 5 3. Christian, you bear the name of Christ. To forgive is the hallmark of Christianity. Converted atheist C.S. Lewis put it this way He said, To be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Evil hurts, forgiveness is hard. God knows that. His own son was speared by evil. And from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Evil defeated with good. And now we reap the wonderful grace of forgiveness. The forgiveness app You can do this. You can do this because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're not in this alone. God is with you. You can do this. It won't be easy. But it'll be right. Application is everything. The bottom line is this, friends. Forgiven people. Forgive people. In a moment, we're going to stand and close in prayer. I want to tell you about a resource that maybe some of you aren't aware exists and it's called for further study. It's a half sheet of paper. It's out at the Resource Center. At the Connection Center, there's one there for just about every sermon that's preached. It'll have passages of scripture on it. It'll have some, some uh, helps that you can put into practice uh, to, to, uh, to, to not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I've got a couple of wonderful books out there listed as resources. I've got a website that's listed as a resource and some scriptural references. And hopefully it's useful and encouraging to you. So this is out at the Resource Center. I encourage you to pick one up. Now then, would you stand with me as we close in prayer this morning, church? <laughs> This prayer that we're going to pray, I've prayed it before and I would imagine you have too. It's called the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And this was his response. Let us read this together For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Forgiveness is God's idea. And now we know to take what he's given us and give it away. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you go and live out being an agent of forgiveness god will bless you if you do great to be with you and we're dismissed.